what this is. That's okay. How many of you under 15 can yell out what this is? Hey, Cesar, boombox. This is a boombox, and I don't know where to put it now. Um, so this series we get to kick, our, kick off today is called Mixtape. And I love this idea because in March, we're going to have different people speaking on different passages. And when I was younger, um, yes, I'm aging myself, but I used to listen to cassette tapes and record it. So I don't know if you guys remember this, but we didn't have Spotify, Apple, you know, I don't even listen, Apple Music, YouTube, create your own playlist. So I remember I had a stereo that was on um, my dresser and it was a big white one and had huge speakers, those massive speakers. And now we just have like these little tiny AirPods, but they were massive speakers. And every time a song came on, I would wait for it and wait for it. And you just hear those first measures of that song, you know. And you like ran over and you're just like, huh, record it. Okay, stop, record. And then you'd do it again and you'd, you'd go again, you'd wait for the next song that you love and not all the time was it Christian. I'm gonna confess, sometimes, you know, I got a little Selena on there. But anyways, I would go over there and push it and record. But the thing is, is that you can actually record over other songs. So you would just do the cassette tape and then flip it over and then record something else all of your favorite songs, different artists, your current fave. That's what we get to do during March. Different, different preachers will be up here, different passages of what God has been stirring in their hearts, been moving in our hearts to share with you, whether it's a topic, whether it's a passage, whatever he's been showing to us, we will be speaking on. So that's why it's called Mixtape. I'm excited to uh, get to be the one to launch this thing. The... Um, Thank you. I got a woo already, and I haven't even gotten to it. Okay, I'm excited for today then. One of the things I was reading through, God revealed something new to me on a passage that I have read and reread and heard about, read again. I heard all of these stories, and so I was a little hesitant when it came to the fact of speaking on something that's so familiar to a lot of people. But the thing is, is that some people in here have never heard of it before, and some have only heard of it a few times. But the problem is, is that sometimes we can become so familiar with things that we lose the wonder of it. We lose the awe. Sometimes... In our familiarity, it can breed unbelief. So today, I get to talk to you about one of the biggest miracles that Jesus did in his life here on earth. And we all want to believe in miracles. We really, really do. I mean, when I'm thinking about this, this miracle is so massive that it affected thousands of people in that moment. We all love these stories of miracles, and it made me think of the 1980s U.S. Olympic hockey team. I want to say was not alive then. It's the thing that you have to start doing. When you get in your 30s, you're like, I wasn't alive yet, I promise. Okay, 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. What is it titled? Does anyone know? Miracle on Ice. So what happens is, is that this U.S. team of amateur players 
ragtag bunch of group. Nobody ever thought that they could actually win this thing. They um, go up against the Soviet Union, which at that point they were favored to win. They had just won the last gold medal. They had won five out of the six before that. U.S., Soviet Union, unbeaten in group rounds, meet each other in the first medal round. They start playing these amateurs against these people who knew what they were doing, international players. First period goes by. For all who don't know hockey, there's three periods, not four quarters. I feel like I need to tell that to somebody in here. Okay, so <laughs> there's the first period ends tied two to two. The second one ends and the Soviets are up three to two. And then in the middle of the third period, the U.S. comes back, ties it up 3-3, three, three, and then they go ahead 4-3. There's 30 seconds left, and the crowd is cheering, and they're yelling, and they can't even believe their eyes, and actually, just go ahead. 28 seconds. The crowd going insane. Carlamon. Shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. The Yelechenov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. is one of the most famous lines in sports history. And actually after this, in 1999, the Sports Illustrated named this the top sports moment of the 20th century. And even international hockey in 2008, and I'm telling you this because I found this out just the other day. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend I'm an avid hockey fan. Um, but they just named it in 2008 the top international top hockey moment in the last 100 years. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe? Do you? See, what we're going in today is, I would say, one of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed while he was here on earth. And I would say that because it is found in all four Gospels. This is the only, the only miracle that is told in all four Gospels. So when something is only told, so the four Gospels are the first books of the New Testament. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the accounts of Jesus' life here on earth. And so we are going to open up to Matthew 14. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Matthew 14. But it's found in Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6. This same story, but we're going to camp in Matthew, and I'm going to use some of the other Gospels to add into this story to fill in some of the details as we go along. But a little bit of context for this. Jesus was just in his hometown. We're going to Matthew 14, but in Matthew 13, he's in his hometown. He's trying to go. He's trying to perform miracles, but everybody in his hometown is like, uh, we know, we're pretty familiar with this Jesus. We saw him grow up. Isn't he the carpenter's son? 
isn't he, aren't those his brothers and those his sisters? Oh, come on. A prophet in our town? And it ends Matthew 13 saying that he could not do many miracles there, not because he was unable, but because of their unbelief. So we're moving into Matthew 14, and Jesus is out serving, and he had told his disciples, go out two by two, don't take anything with you, just a staff, don't take a bag, don't take your belt. I don't know what that means. <laughs> to hold up? Anyways, okay, I get distracted while I'm scripture reading. Okay, don't take an extra pair of shoes, don't take an extra shirt. Let everybody provide for you when you get there. So they all come back, and they meet Jesus, and Jesus finds out that John the Baptist has been beheaded. John the Baptist is his cousin. Someone he's heard about his whole life, someone he knew. And John the Baptist had just gotten beheaded by Herod and Herod knew about Jesus. So Jesus was leaving the region and it says that the disciples and Jesus were tired, they were hungry, and they wanted to get to a remote place to rest. And that's where we enter into our story in Matthew 14 verses 13 through 21. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. And when the crowds heard this, when he heard about it is John the Baptist's killing. He withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted. And it's already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. Now those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. They say that, um, there's some scholars that say that there could have been up to about 10,000, because the ratio from a man to women and children was usually five to one, six to one. But what we find out in the Gospel of John is that this is actually happening on the journey to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Not a lot of women would have actually made this trek. I tend to believe that account only because if the women were there, they would have had food. I'm just saying, not for me, because I don't know how to feed people, but some people, my mother was not there <laughs> to feed them, to feed them. So I'm saying there's a little extra added in there. But what happens here, we see this story. Jesus is exhausted. His disciples are tired. He says, we're going to go. We're going to grab everything that we have. We're going to go and we're going to get to a remote place and rest for a little while. So they get on this boat, but then the crowds see Jesus get on the boat. So what do they do? They run the shoreline. They're running the shoreline. Oh my gosh, come on. If Jesus is in the middle of that lake, and John, in, in uh, Gospel of John, it says it's the lake of the Sea of Galilee. It takes about six miles, and they're in the boat just rowing. 
rowing, rowing. And it's about an eight-mile trek all the way over to where they land in Bethsaida. So Jesus is out there in the lake, and the people see him, and they're just running. And then they get more people, and they're running, trying to beat him to the other side. I don't know about you, but I have some young mom friends <laughs> that are feeling a, probably a little bit like Jesus and those disciples. Just like, leave me alone for just one second. I have mom friends that say that they go into the bathroom and pretend like they have to go to the bathroom just to have a moment away from their children. And then they just see like the little fingers coming up from under the doors. Mom! Dad! <laughs> Hello, where are you? They're like, I left you for like five seconds. I need alone time. But they didn't get it. Or sometimes, even with our phones nowadays, it's like everybody can reach you at all time, and it's their emergency, and you're like, I just want a moment. And they're like, I see you on your Instagram story. Why didn't you text me back? Not that that ever happens to me. Okay, I'm the worst texter. Just going to throw that for everyone to hear. Jesus is out there, and he's seeing these people. And this is how I imagine it. He gets, he lands there, and there's a crowd of 5,000 people outside of Bethsaida, in a deserted area, a hillside. Jesus is tired. He's heartbroken. He's exhausted. The disciples say that they're hungry, and one of the other gospels says, we're so hungry, let's go somewhere else and get food. And they show up to this place, and there's tons of people, and Jesus had compassion. In his tiredness, in his brokenness, and his grieving, his brokenheartedness. He wanted rest, but he saw these people in need, and it says in Luke that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost, and Jesus had compassion on them. So much compassion that he lost track of time. Have you ever been doing things that you're just like, how, where did the time go? I do that when I'm preaching, actually. I'm like, wow, how did that go by so fast? I'm sorry I keep you so long, you know? But a lot of times when we're serving other people, we're kind of keeping track of time. Have you ever volunteered for something for two hours and like 45 minutes in street? Like, how is it not four hours at this point? Like, when you're serving sometimes, when you're not going in there with that compassion and that need to serve, a lot of times the time can seem like it takes longer. So Jesus is over there healing the sick, teaching about the kingdom and the disciples. I just imagine them over there just like, I thought we were going to get food. Like... Nap time, anybody? Okay, Jesus, you're going to keep, okay. And so they're standing over here. This is how I read scripture. Here's a little insight. <laughs> you just have to start really visualizing this all happen. And, though, and so it says, in Luke it says that three of those disciples are from the town of Bethsaida, Bethsaida or around there. There's Philip, Andrew, and Peter. Peter and Andrew are brothers. Peter gets in trouble a lot. Andrew is in the picture a lot. So I just imagine them being like, okay, um, you three are around here. You know where to get food and sleep. So we're going to pick one of you to go tell Jesus it's time. Send them away. They need to go get food. We need to get food. Like that's kind of the, the whole conversation I'm picking, seeing in my mind. And Philip is like, oh. I guess this is my one claim to fame in scripture. I have to go up to Jesus and be like, <clears throat> Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, it's getting dark. The sun is setting and we are so concerned about these people. And we think that they need to go to the villages and get food and lodging. Just send them away. At your command, you can do anything. Send them away. 
And then Jesus looks at Philip and the other gospels. It says that he asks them this question and he's like, well, what are we supposed to give them? And he's like, well, Jesus, even if I had 200 denarii, which is half a year's wage, if I went into them by the time we go and get the food, we come back, not even everyone could have one bite of this much bread. 200 denarii, half a year's wages. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? Andrew, who's also from this town, comes up and he's like, oh, 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 um, what do we have? What do we have? Oh, we have this little boy who happened to have a snack pack. He has five loaves and two fish, and he's willing to give it to us. So Andrew's like, let me be the hero. So Andrew comes over here, and he tells Jesus, we have five loaves and two fish, but what will that do us, Lord? And Jesus says, give it to me but we only have five loaves and two fish. Hand it over to me. Now, I think the real miracle in this story is that little kid who shared his lunch. I'm just saying, have you ever been around kids who try to get them to share anything? Have you ever been around me when we go to In-N-Out and get French fries? No, you cannot have one of my French fries. It's just like not a thing. It's like, what if later on I get hungry and I really am thinking about that one fry I gave you? Like, oh, I saw you at dinner in the grounds last week. I didn't. I wasn't watching you, but I have been on enough mission trips to know. There's this scarcity mode that we go into. We have this scarcity mode in a society of plenty and extra. We're afraid we're not going to have enough. So then when people are like, well, what do you have? What do you have? And you're like, well, I only have five loaves and two fish. And I don't really want to share that. Or like, what if I get hungry later? Or what if it's just not enough for everybody else? So you just hold it back. a scarcity mindset. But Jesus says those words, hand them over to me. You see, these disciples have seen Jesus heal the sick. The blind now see. Demons have been driven out. And the dead has been raised. So when they see this whole issue, they should see Jesus and say, We're, we're hungry and we have this, like, we are with Jesus. He's been doing all these miracles. I bet you if he can raise somebody from the dead, he can make more food. Do it, do it. Like, I would literally just be like, yes, Lord, like, do something cool. Do something cool. And they just stood there and just like, nope. No, Jesus, this is the practical thing. This is the practical thing. We need to send them away, or if I use the 200 denarii, it's not going to be enough. But they had the miracle worker standing next to them. But they were so caught up in their need and their practicality that they started to hoard the thing that they had to give him that he wanted to work miracles from. A lot of times we can do the same. We might think that it's not enough if we give it to Jesus. Well, it's only this much money and it's only this much time and I only have this much talent or I'm not enough, Lord, so I'm actually not going to give it to you because I'm afraid that it's just not going to be enough. 
But Jesus is saying, give it to me and watch what I can do. Around here at Renovation, um, we talk about, in our Uncommon course that my dad has um, done, there's this question that says, if you had unlimited resources, unlimited time, unlimited talent, unlimited treasure, what would you do? What would you do with your life? And so we want to look into here because Jesus had to ask the disciples a question, what do you have? What do you have? What are your resources? Identify your resources. So we're going to dive into that right now, and we're going to identify our resources with our time, our talent, and our treasure. The first one is time, and a lot of times we say, but we only have this much time in a day. We only have, you know, we only have two days off on the weekend. You want me to go to church? (laughs) During those two days, I only have this much time to get sleep. I only have this much time to serve. I only have this much time. I only have this much time. And Jesus has said, give it to me. How often have you come? How often? Okay, maybe you have (laughs) felt this, but I have gone to church. I've gone to Bible study when I didn't feel like it. And sometimes I'm leading it and I'm like, I just want to go home and sleep. Like, but you have to lead or you have to be there. You get to be there. It's a better way to look at everything. (laughs) Burbage matters. Um, And you think, I just, I just, I can't be there today. But once you get there, you realize you needed to be there. You got something from the word. You got something from someone else. You got to serve somebody else. You got to share your story with them. You got to do these things. And all of a sudden, your time that you invested, you got joy out of it. You got peace out of it. You were uplifted from it. You got more than you put in. I only have this much and I'm tired. And then you leave elevated. How many times have you regretted actually being in the presence of the Lord? He will leave you filled up. There was this one time that I call my Holy Wednesday. I call it my Holy Wednesday. It happened a year and a half ago, so I should probably ask for another Holy Wednesday at this point. Anyways, I had so much to do. I had um, Bible study on a Wednesday, morning and evening, and then I had, I was flying out to Colorado because my friend had lost somebody close to her and I needed to be, I chose to be with her during that time. I had a rise launching. I was also serving on a conference leadership team that was coming here to Phoenix. I was doing all of these things and I'm like, Lord, there is no way. I leave out in the morning and it is Wednesday at 10. There is no way one person can humanly possible get any of this done or at least all of it. I'm on the phone complaining, 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 wasting the time, right? Don't we do that? Wasting the time that we had and I get off the phone and I'm like, I'm gonna pray, Lord, <laughs> Just let me get what I need to get done, done, and I will trust you to cover the rest. I had so much joy going through that day. I was like getting things done. I was focused. I was actually nice to people when I was on a mission. I know sometimes I get it. I know how I am sometimes. I apologize. I got everything done. Bible study was fantastic. And I got on that flight and I went to Colorado and I got everything done that I needed because of my perspective. I said, this is what I have. Instead of holding on to it and being like, well, practically, I can't get all this. I said, nope, I'm just going to give it to him. And he multiplied my time. But guess what? He multiplied my joy while I was doing it. 
that changes everything. But Lord, I'm too old. Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, God promises them a son in their old age. Isaac is named Laughter because when they found out that they were going to have kids that old, they laughed. They're like, ha, it's funny, Jesus. They were too old, and yet they had to wait about 25 years to receive the promise. Time. But if you give that over and you're like, Lord, you promised. I know that you can work miracles. I know that you can make a way. I'm too old, but I'm too old in the hands of Jesus. Is a promise kept 25 years later who is Isaac, one of the fathers of the Jewish faith, of our faith. But Lord, I'm too young. I'm too young. I can't do this. Well, the prophet Jeremiah, in the first chapter of Jeremiah, he calls Jeremiah and Jeremiah's like, but I'm too young to tell these people what to do. I've thought that for a long time. Now I've just gotten used to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, he goes and Jesus, God meets him and he tells them, you are not too young. Do not say that you are only a youth for you will go to everyone I tell you and say whatever I tell you. Hand it to him. But I'm too young. Give it to Jesus. And then go listen to First Timothy that my dad just preached on. <laughs> Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. But I only have this much time, but I'm already this old, but I'm, oh, I'm still this young, and, and Lord, why are you asking this of me? Because I still have time to live. I, I want to go live this way and not live towards you just right now, not yet. He wants your story. He wants to redeem your story. I was away from the Lord for a couple of years there. I was living the way that I wanted to. But when I finally came back to the Lord and I added baggage to my life, I added heartache to my life that was unnecessary because I actually knew that I was called to ministry a long time ago and I ran from it. I just, because I didn't know where it was. And I ran from it. And so I ran in a different direction. I'm like, well, everybody's in college. Everybody's having fun. Now we're all young adults. We don't have to do that yet. Not yet until I'm married. Not yet until I have kids. Not until I have grandkids. Do I have to be the person God has called me to be? And I'm here to tell you, yes, he redeems time. But he's saying now, now. Hallelujah, he redeems stories, but I'm not gonna encourage you to go down the track and hope that one day you don't even know if your last breath when it is. Today is the day of salvation. But guess what? He is the maker of time. So he can do anything with it. He is outside of time. So he can redeem it. He has redeemed my life and he can redeem your story. I love that story in Joshua where God actually stood still, the sun in the sky and the moon. So Joshua could beat a battle. Like he was in battle and he stood still. The whole sun stood still only for Joshua because he asked God to do it. What if we ask God to multiply our time, to multiply what we're doing in our lives because he can redeem it? To stop and say hello to someone when you're on your way somewhere, to go to lunch when you feel like you don't really have time to, to bless someone else. Because we're here to be a blessing. 
The next one is to identify your talents. Well, Lord, I only have this much talent. Well, Lord, I only have this much knowledge. Well, Lord, I only have this much skill. Well, Lord, I don't have a degree. Well, Lord, I'm not in leadership. Give it to him. In Matthew 25 is the story of the talents. And uh, for time's sake, I'm just going to tell you a little bit of what happened. And it's about this man who's going on a journey and he calls his own servants and he has three servants. He gives the servants talents. And in this story, it's not necessarily skill, it is currency. He gives them talents. So the first one, he gives them five talents. To the second servant, he gives two talents. And to the third servant, he gives one talent. Five, two, and one. According to their ability. According to their ability. He gives currency according to your ability. He goes on a journey and he comes back and he asks the person with five talents. He's like, what did you do with it? And he's like, hey, master, I invested. I did all these things and now I have ten talents. I did what you asked me to do. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Share in your master's joy. He goes to the person with two talents and he said, look, I invested. I did all of this work and now I've doubled it. Now we have four. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few. Now I will put you in charge of many and you will share in your master's joy. The same thing to the 10 and to the four. Please hear that. The same thing. But then the one came up and he's like, what did you do? And he's like, well, uh, I don't really trust you. So, and you're kind of mean. So I uh, went and I buried it. I dug it in, put it in the ground. And now here it is like somewhere, you know, over there. And he's like, it would have been better for you to at least go put it in a bank than in the ground so it can make interest. Like so practical, this Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, because you didn't do this, because you weren't faithful with what I gave you, I'm going to take that away, give it to the one with 10, and now you, you're shut out. That's a harsh word. But I want you to hear that we are in a competing, comparative, try and pull each other down society. We are better than you, no, we're better than you, no, in fighting all the time. And God is saying, no, look with what you have. What have I given you? And what are you going to do with that? I don't know if a lot of you know this, but I was born tongue-tied. I was born tongue-tied, and which means that I couldn't lift up my tongue. Like when you speak, you couldn't lift up your tongue, so I had to have surgery, right? Okay. My mom's like looking at me like, like, is this the wrong child? Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Mayday! I'm in the middle of a sermon. Okay. <laughs> I was born tongue-tied, and I'm dyslexic, so I actually get the fronts of words, like the, the beginning letters, like mixed up often. And I get letters flip-flopped. I, in college, had to stand up and tell, somebody, tell them who, what my name was and where I'm from and what I do at the school, because we were all athletes in there, and, um, and say something about yourself that people needed to know. So I literally, it was my turn. I was bright red, and I'm like, hi, my name is Allie, and I'm from Chandler, and I actually play volleyball, and I love the Green Bay Packers. Sit down. I was bright red. I was sweating. Do you guys know when that heat wave comes over your body? When you're so embarrassed. So I did that. And now, when the Lord asked me to start leading Bible study, I'm like, Ugh, I don't like reading in front of people. 
I don't like talking in front of people because I am dyslexic. Don't you remember how you made me? <laughs> Side note, when I started reading scripture out loud, I started to be healed from it. I just want to say that. That's just an experiential fact of my own. <laughs> so when I read scripture, I can see it clearly. Other things I still have struggle with, but when I read scripture, so I've disciplined myself in the morning to read it out loud because it helps me. The Lord can take whatever you have, and in the hands of him, he can do whatever he wants to it if you're willing to hand it over to him. And then it's been years of progression, and now every time I'm like, Lord, this is all I have. Do whatever you want with it. This is all I have. You're the miracle worker, and I will see you do it again. <laughs> do it again, Lord. And our treasure but Lord, I only have this much treasure, give it to me. In World War II, there was this woman and her family, and they lived in the Netherlands. And they wanted to do something in World War II to protect, protect the Jewish people. And so they had people coming in, and they were in the Netherlands, and they had this closet in their house, and her name is Corrie Tenboom. She had this closet in her room that they built this fake room to so that they could fit six people in that room. Six people so they could hide Jewish people and they could hide the resistance people that were coming out. So they were hiding and helping, hiding and helping. And this is all they had was room for six people. That's all they had. And then Corey, as it progressed, it said one time that she went and she had to ask for ration cards because if you weren't Dutch, you had to have a ration card. And so she went and she happened to know the person giving out ration cards and she went up to ask them for five ration cards. And she said she stood there and when she asked them for the ration cards, the number 100 came out of her mouth. And they gave her 100 ration cards. So she gave it to everybody so they could go and get food. And eventually she was arrested. She was put in concentra concentration camps. And she somehow, by a mix-up, got out of her group before that group was sent to the gas chambers. Somehow. She started out with room for six people, and eventually they added on this whole extra room. So they were able to have more people in there. But six, they had space for six people. But Lord, I only have space in my house, Jesus says, give it to me. But I only have this much money. Give it to me. When I started tithing, I did not want to tithe. I'm just going to say that. I don't know why I said it like that. Okay. I did not. It's because I really didn't want to. And I remember that, that verse in the scriptures where it says that God loves a cheerful giver. And I'm like, well, I'm not very cheerful, so I better not give, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know you've thought it found out later that all my spiritual gifts, like giving is not one of my strong suits. So it's something that I have to do out of obedience, out of obedience. And actually when I started working at the church, I was working four part-time jobs. I started working at the church and uh, I'm like, well, now my dad's going to know my tithe. So I better start, you know, being obedient finally. Find out later, he could have already checked it at the other church. So it's fine. <laughs> I finally just started to do it and I was trying to get out of debt. I went to school in London. I got in debt. I did all these things. And I'm like, I got to get out of debt. Working all these jobs. And I'm like, oh, I have to, to give you my money. But that's 10% of what I need. And then I could pay it off faster if I just kept that. And I'll tithe after I'm done. After I'm out of debt, I'll tithe. And he's like, 
Okay, I felt so convicted. I'm like, no, I have to tithe now. 10%, 10%, 10%. When I started tithing 10%, I got more money. I don't know where it came from. It was like sometimes I went to go pay for things, and I'm like, where did all this money came from? What? And I don't know if there was actually more money or if my perspective on life shifted. But I know that my cars lasted longer than they should have. You all know, if you saw my yellow car I used to drive, you know. It lasted way longer than it should have. When we give over what we have, he replenishes, he replaces, he is faithful to work miracles when we are obedient to hand it over to him. So he's asking you, what do you have? So give it to me. Your treasure. What do you have? Like the widow found in Mark 12 who God says, Jesus says it's better because she brought in her two coins was better than all the large sums everybody else was pouring in because she gave out of her poverty, not out of her wealth. What is something that hurts a little bit for you to give that God's saying, just give faithfully? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with few. Now I can put you in charge of much. Jesus, we jump back into the story. and What does he do next? In verse 19, it says, Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. So here it is. They've identified their resources, and Jesus is like, Give me your resources. So they hand it over to Jesus, and Jesus tells everybody to sit down. In the grassy area, sheep without a shepherd, in green pastures. Just think of Psalm 23 in this moment. They sit in groups of 50 to 100. And Jesus takes the bread, the resources that the disciples had, and he looks up to heaven and he blesses it. And it's not just like, bless, bless this Lord. I mean, he gave a full blessing over it. And we love blessing, don't we? We're like, bless us, Lord. Bless us with good health. Bless us with, with, with wealth, I guess. Bless us. God bless America. I don't know why that was kept coming in my head, and I'm like, don't say it, don't say it. But it did. God bless America. We just keep thinking of this blessing, 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 and we need to be asking him for blessing. But guess what he does right after the blessing? He breaks it. He blesses, and then he breaks it. Breaking hurts. Blessing is fun. Breaking hurts. He blesses, and he breaks it. He blesses what you have given him, and then it says, okay, it's a little uncomfortable because now you have to give time to volunteer, and now it's uncomfortable because now you have to give more towards the people around you. Now it's uncomfortable, and now it's actually painful. But sometimes, guess what? If you're asking for the blessing and the breaking, if there's a breaking, guess what? If there's pain, it's purposeful. The blessing on the breaking will give purpose to your pain. The blessing from your breaking will give purpose to that pain. So you know that even though it's a little uncomfortable to go and talk to somebody that you don't know, ow, I don't want to do that, Lord. 
That if you walk faithfully and purposefully, he will continue his blessing over it. Then he sends his disciples out, and I can only imagine disciples looking at him like, what? There's still only these loaves. (laughs) Like, oh, Jesus. (laughs) Multiples, please. And they're like, okay, he broke it. He did, in essence, already multiply. And he gives it back to his disciples for the miracle. So he gives it back to them to go take out and for the miracle to take place. It says that Jesus kept giving them the bread. And the other gospel said Jesus kept giving it to them. So they take what was been multiplied. And guess what? I've heard it said that if you're wanting to see the miraculous, you're going to have to look a little ridiculous. Don't you think the disciples thought that for a second? Like, ugh. These are barley loaves, which are like this big. Oh gosh, there's still 5,000 people behind us. Like, okay, okay, whoa, (laughs) wow, it's still going. And then they're like, they had to keep going back to Jesus to get more bread from him. And then they got to go and give it out. They kept going back to Jesus for their bread, the sustainer, the provider, the one who is there for you, the bread of life. They had to go back to the bread of life to get bread for the people so that they know that he is the bread of life. This is amazing. Jesus is so cool. I get so pumped. And so they're giving them out and it says that they are satisfied to the full. Every person there is full. Some of you in here might be thinking, I am one of the disciples. I follow Jesus, and I need to be taking what I have to him. But some of you in here might see yourself as one in the crowd. One in the crowd that is still wondering if, if God actually, if Jesus does do those miracles. But you're, you're kind of needing a disciple to come help you and to show you the way of the bread of life to take it out into our communities, to go back to Jesus and share the bread of life with people around us. It's not just for you, it's for them. He uses you. You are a vessel. You get to be a part of the miracle. But make no mistake, it is him. But he uses our faith and our willingness to multiply and to take it out to a world that is in desperate need of hope. And of the bread of life. They ate and were satisfied. And then it says they picked up 12 basketfuls. 12 baskets. There are 12 disciples. Like, are you kidding? So cool. They were taught the best lesson ever. (laughs) They not only fed everybody else, but then they were full. They had food for their journey. They had food to keep going afterwards. God isn't asking you to pour out and then you not to have anything. But when you give, you will get to collect. Not only will everybody else around you be satisfied, but then you will be full and you will have leftovers to take into the next day. You will have leftovers. It's not about operating of, we live in a world that's all instant, instant Instant (laughs) coffee. I take those on my trips. Um, We have everything to us immediately. We want it right now. We don't have patience anymore. So trusting Jesus with time, trusting Jesus with these things that might take a while just seems a little daunting. 
Is he who he says he is? Will he do what he says he's going to do? Is he really the miracle worker? Give it over to him. He says, give it to me. Let me bless it. Have anybody ever broken a bone? <laughs> like I broke my arm like when I was young and it was at, we were at somebody else's house and it was a youth group kid and I was probably like eight, seven or eight. And he, have you guys ever done like the Superman thing where you like put your, the kids on your hands, you're laying there. And so I just got this fun idea, like push me and I'll fly. So I was like, great. So he was like pushing me up in the sky and I kept nailing the landing. And then I said, spin me like this off of his foot. I went into the air, landed full body like this, stood up. My arm was literally straight right here and then up and then down. And I don't remember, you know how they say like you forget trauma? <laughs> like I don't remember the pain. I don't remember. I do remember going like, oh no. And if you know my older sister, who's somehow more dramatic than me, she's like, oh! she screamed so loud. She went in there to my parents where they were eating and she's just like, Allie, boom, she was crying and I'm like in shock, like, oh, what is happening? And it broke all the way through this bone and almost broke through on this one, was barely holding on. So I just had this cool little rainbow cast, a little eight-year-old going around, but it took time to heal. And it took time and then I got a shorter cast and it wasn't comfortable before, but sometimes, but somehow there was a healing when they put it back in place the right way and I, I let it take the time that it needed to heal. You guys, sometimes we're asking God for blessing and he's breaking us. You're like, why are you, why is this still uncomfortable? He's like, watch what I can do if you give this moment to me. Watch what I can do if you give this breaking over to me. Watch what I can do in your marriage when it's hurting. If you give it to me, watch what I can do if you're single and you're wanting to be married. Watch what I can do with that. Hand it over to him. And the best part is, is that these people, the reason why it's probably in all four gospels and the band can come up is because everybody loved hearing this because remember what I told you at the front side. They were on their way to the Passover. The Passover festival. And when they see Jesus giving out this bread, this never-ending bread for all of them to be filled, there's a story that's ringing in their mind. A story of the Israelites in the wilderness when they're exiting Egypt after 400-something years of slavery. And they're watching Jesus hand out this bread, this all-sustaining bread, and they're remembering their, their ancestors and how God provided manna in the wilderness. And I always think it's funny because they look at it and they say, what is it? And then it continues on in that same verse. It says, they said, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. I'm like, that's one place in my Bible it says LOL. Like, <laughs> they didn't, they said, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. And that's actually why it's called manna. Because it's like, what is this? But they knew it was some type of bread substance. And he gave it to them every day for 40 years, just enough for that day. So if you had a lot, you had enough to be full for that day. If you had a little, you had enough to satisfy you for that day. But then he had to provide it again the next day. And that is why we need to be in the word every day. His living word, if we're wondering how he's speaking and what he's saying, it's in here. 
He speaks in a lot of ways, but you guys, this is alive and active and it's dangerous to get familiar with these stories because you can read it one year and it not really do anything. But then when I read it the other day, when it said, but we only, I've never seen it that way before. But we only, what am I saying? But Lord, I only, you're asking me to do that, but I only have this. What are you saying to him? But, but I only, I'm only a single mom. But I'm only 15 years old, Lord, but now I'm retired, Lord, what, where am I supposed to be? But Lord, I'm only single. but only, but we only, but we only, and you fill in the blank, and then he says, hand it over to me. And these Israelites are seeing that when these disciples, these Jewish people are seeing the disciples, hand, take this back from Jesus. Jesus is handing them the multiplied things and going out, using their but we only and multiplying. And then Jesus is breaking the bread, and then there's an upper room that happens. In Matthew 26, 26 through 28, it reads, I picked up all my papers. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he gave thanks, he gave it to him, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So they saw it. They remembered the Exodus story, and now they see the feeding of the 5,000 of this bread. And now Jesus is in the upper room, blessing the bread, breaking it, and handing it again. Remember the miracles. Remember what I've done. Remember what I've done because there's going to thing coming in just a couple of days. Well, they were betray me. They will whip me. They will mock me. And I will take on the sins of the world. But I'm going to rise again. And he walks that road to Calvary knowing every painful step he would have to take. But he knew it was purposeful. See, Jesus was blessed. And he offered himself and he was broken for us took on the brokenness of the world, but he saw purpose in the brokenness. And so he walked that painful road because why? The joy that was set before him to share with the master's glory because that joy is that we can be with him forever and ever one day. He loves you that much. He is the blessing. He took on the breaking. We are to walk purposefully as he did, even if it's painful, because there is a world that needs to know what he has done and the miracles that he has worked and that he is still working and that he will do in our lives if we believe. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. I do. Every time I offer up my time and he multiplies, every time I offer up my talent and he multiplies, every time I offer up my treasure and he multiplies, he's working a miracle. You have experienced miracles in your life before you even knew what a miracle was. And he has more for you. And so we're going to stand as we close this time. God is a God of abundance. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, God will give generously, God will generously provide all that you need, and then you will always have 
everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Before we go into our time of communion, it says, Paul says to always reflect before you take communion. Don't do it hastily, but to reflect on what God's doing in our hearts right now. And so I would love to pray over us. And, and if you would just kind of, if you're comfortable enough, just kind of hold out your palms as Jesus took what they had at that transfer of those five loaves and two fish that they handed over to Jesus. And he's saying, hand it over to me. I'm going to give us a moment, just bow your heads and just ask the Lord to show you what that thing is that he needs to have. That you're even thinking it's not enough, it's too much, it disqualifies you, it makes you not good enough. It's keeping you locked in fear, locked in shame, locked in chains, because you are afraid that it's not enough for Jesus to use, but your story can be redeemed. Everything you have can be multiplied in the hands of the maker of the universe. So let's just take a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And I'm going to pray over us and we're going to enter into communion. Lord, I confess that often I see what I have, compare it to others, and let that keep me from living in to what you've called me to do or handing it over to you, Lord. Give it to you. Lord, thank you for sharing and showing us what you can do in the midst of the breaking, in the midst of the pain, Lord God, that so many of us are going through, or maybe it's a health issue that we're holding out in our hands, or maybe it's a relationship we're holding out in our hands, or maybe it's just the fact that we aren't sure that we can trust you, Lord. That's what we're holding in our hands. Can you really do this? Are you really who you say you are? But Lord, whatever it might be that you're speaking to your, your servants today, to your people today, Lord, let us be a people who trust that, yes, we believe in miracles so that we can just yell it out to everyone. Do you believe in miracles? Yes, because he's done it in our lives. He's done it and he's going to do it again. So Lord, thank you for doing it over and over again. Thank you for being patient with us as we are searching and wondering. And Lord God, I pray that we will be disciples who will give out the bread of life, the sustainer. You are our sustainer and our provider. May we show the world who you are by the way that we live and trusting fully in you. We thank you for the breaking of the bread and your body that was given for us and the story that has lived all of these years in all four gospels because everybody talked about this story. So Lord, we should be talking about this story because of the miracle of the bread of life. So Lord, thank you for being everything we need daily. And teach us to rely on you to hand it over 
and then be bold and brave enough to take it back when you give it back to us so that we can walk purposefully in the world that we have been planted. Lord, I pray a blessing and a favor and an anointing over everyone in here as their hands are out that they receive your power to go and do these things that they have asked for, Lord. And I thank you that you have been in this moment and I praise you that you will be over this next time. In Jesus' name, amen.